Welcome to Forecast, the foreshadow podcast seeking glimpses of heaven on earth through conversations about people's lives and work. This season, our theme is Called Forth, Vocation and Faith, asking who we are called to become and what we are called to do. I'm Josh, and this evening, I'm joined by Scott Stevens, and I think some of you listeners will remember him from last year, last April, when Scott and I had a conversation about vocation. So that, in many ways, was a foreshadow of our theme this year, um, and that episode is called Listening Inwardly. Um, Scott and I are friends from college, um, and he is also a composer. And uh, so, Scott, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Josh. It's good. It, this is awesome. Yes. And, yes. And welcome. I should have said welcome back, actually. Yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, so today we will actually be kicking off a new series of um, forecasts on the book Walking on Water, Reflections on Faith and Art by Madeline Lengel. And we'll go into a little more into that. Um, uh, but before I do, I want to share just some news about Foreshadow. Um, if you don't know, Foreshadow is a spirituality literary magazine, um, and, and that's literary, I kind of stumbled on that, rooted in the Christian faith. And it started in 2020, and um, this podcast um, explores the themes of that magazine more deeply. And actually, Scott was the one who encouraged us to, to actually create this podcast. So I'm really glad to have him here with I'm so us. Glad you, I'm so glad you're doing this. Thanks, Scott. But the news that I'd like to share is that next year, our theme is Songs of Ascents, Pilgrimage and Worship. So I would just like to introduce the listeners to that. Um, if you don't know, the Songs of Ascents are um, a collection of psalms, um, I believe Psalm 120 to 134. And those were um, psalms that the Hebrews would have sung on their, on their pilgrimages um, to Jerusalem in the temple there. And so... Um, so we'll be touching on a lot of different topics in that theme, uh, such as pilgrimage, spirituality and travel, worship, music, and the Psalms. So if you have any poems or stories or personal essays, music, or other works of art you want to submit or that you might percolate and submit in the future, uh, we will be opening submissions for that. So that's just the news blurb. But but Scott, I, before we begin uh, jumping into the book, I'd like to update our listeners on just what you've been up to since last April when we spoke. Oh man, so much has happened. So I think last April, I told you that I was going to be moving with my wife to London so that she could begin her grad school um, program at University College London, and that I was going to be obviously coming with um, and trying to find work uh, composing for television or maybe assisting someone who is already composing. And um, I'm very pleased to say my wife like just finished her, her master's thesis here, they would call it a dissertation. And um, I've read it, it's awesome. And it was a really, really good experience for her. Um, and I feel like I'm, I'm getting an honorary degree <laughs> as the spouse, like, you know, she's bounced ideas. So I, uh, that's been a really cool journey. And then um, I just, I mean, other, I don't know how else to say it, kind of miraculously quick when we moved here last uh, fall, I got in touch with a composer through someone I'd, I'd written before and got an assistantship going like really, really fast. And 
um, it was great. I went to the studio and it's the only interview in my life where I've had chocolate and listened to one of my favorite jazz musicians because <laughs> we both really liked the music. Um, so that was like, that, that was off on the, the right foot, I think, and uh, have done a few a few series um, with him since. And uh, now, uh, most recently, I'm uh, back to freelancing, and I'm really excited to have done some work on a, a documentary about um, the current like humanitarian and geopolitical crisis in Kashmir, which is a, a conflict I did not know a lot about um, prior. And uh, also, I did a film with Jared Callahan, another Point Loma alumni and really talented director. Uh, we've just released um, Sometimes I Shake, which is a film about Dan Nelson. And um, that's probably appropriate to stop there because it was actually Dan Nelson who introduced me to, <laughs> to Madeleine Langle's Walking on Water. Um, I took a class with him at Point Loma my freshman year, and it was on the required reading, and I'm so glad, so glad that I got into that book. So, um, yeah, take us, take us in. What's, what's it about? Because I could share some of what I remember, but I, you know, yeah. you, you're the Lord of the, Lord of the board here. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that update, Scott. Um, but yes, going into Walking on Water, um, that's, so this book is, so Dan Nelson's brother, Dean Nelson, um, was my journalism advisor at, at the same university. And and similarly, it was through his uh, creative nonfiction class that I first read um, Walking on Water by Lengel. Although I had also, from uh, childhood, I had read many of her children's books, um, the most famous one being uh, A Wrinkle in Time. H have you read any of those? I have. I've, I've read uh, A Wrinkle in Time. I'm, if I did read another from that series, it was ages ago, so I wouldn't remember it very well. Walking on Water, I have read multiple times. <laughs> so it's probably the work I'm most familiar with. Yeah, it's it's the kind of book that, yeah, you one keeps on reading and rereading and gleaning new insights. And that's one of the reasons why I'm really excited to begin this series with you, because um, there's there seems to be a lot to mine here and to to um, to discover through her work. Um, and so some of the goals for this project um, of this podcast series, um, one is that, um, so as I said, uh, the, the, there's a lot, in, there's a lot here. And I remember um, in Dean Nelson's class, um, he, Dean was asking the class what we thought of the book, because we were assigned to um, read one chapter a week or something, and then write reflections oh, yeah. on it. And uh, it was that what Dan Dan Nelson? I think yeah. I, I'm trying to remember if it was a chapter a week because we had the class twice. It might have been a little bit more than that because there okay. were there were more, more than that book to get through. But yeah, yeah, okay. similar. Yeah, and, but I remember one student's comment, and and he was saying that he actually didn't. He found this book challenging for him because it kind of meandered too much for him. He he didn't really see where the where Madeline Lengel was going with it, and at the time. I didn't really, uh, I didn't really agree with him. But looking back, I see, I, I do see what he's saying because it's very difficult. It's not the kind. It's not your normal, um, like manual or, no, or nonfiction, you know, how-to book. Uh, it, it's more, it's more like a work of creative nonfiction, or even there are some fiction elements too in it. I mean, it's not fictional, but there's creativity and there's, um, and literary. There's a literary quality to it that I have not really seen in a, in a, in a. A nonfiction book like this and yeah yeah 
it reminds me a little bit of like Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird, mm. where it's about writing, but it's so much more than writing. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of touch points. Yes. So one of the goals is to really just outline this book to kind of um, to kind of understand it and grasp it if as much as possible, um, and and hopefully without without um, taking away any of the life from the book. Another goal is to um, discuss the meaningful ideas and lines that come out of the book, especially as it involves vocation this season, mm -hmm. and and also specifically the vocation of writers and artists, because a lot of our forecast and foreshadow readers and listeners are writers and artists. And so that's one of our themes is um, the vocation of art artists. And so um, just discussing that, exploring that, um, and it won't be comprehensive, of course, but just um, drawing on our own experiences as well. Um, and, and hopefully that will provide some food for thought for our listeners. And then another goal is to, to orient and reorient us towards Christ. Um, Lengel was a Christian. And, um, and I think this book and her other work and her life offer glimpses of the kingdom of God as one, which is our podcast theme. So I, I hope that as we, as we explore this book, we can encounter uh, a reflection of Christ as well for ourselves and for our listeners. So, um, so I've uh, tried to outline the chapter. Um, so I'll go through that first, just the basic, um, the give, basic us, give us points. the lay of the land. Yes, yes. Um, so the first segment, and these are divided into uh, based on the different sections, and then when Lengel has a gap in the paragraphs, to me, that kind of begins a new section. Um, so the first segment, I would kind of summarize as how Lengel came to write the book. And then the second one, I would say, is what is Christian art? She explores that question. And the third is um, uh, just a short section on um, the mystery of, of art and faith. And then the fourth section is that Christian art is cosmos in chaos, and it's incarnational. Um, and we'll explain these things, hopefully, as we discuss this um, um, going on. Uh, the fifth section is that Christian art helps us to remember. Uh, and then the sixth section is that artists can see hidden things, um, such as angels. Um, and I think, yeah, that would be that might be interesting to discuss. Um, the seventh section is that faith enables us to see hidden things and make good art and to obey God. It helps us to obey God. And then the the eighth section is that the artist's job is to serve the work. And the final ninth section is that the work must take over, but getting to that point requires patience and perseverance. Yeah. Oh boy, does it! <laughs> yes, as well. Um, would you like to say anything? Uh, are you are you saying that out of your own experience as a composer? Yeah, uh, I am. I think um, if I if I could just say generally about the book, uh, I agree with you insofar as it does meander. Um, but it's it's a little bit of a mix of almost her her life diary and her faith journey. There's definitely art. There's definitely her pulling. You know, like if if this book were a Spotify playlist, it's kind of her a collection of her favorite playlists, right? By favorite artists, which is fun. Um, yes. But you learn a lot about her, and I feel like it's it's such a different read from anything else that I've read because of how how many 
branches grow out of it into faith, into art, into multiple kinds of art, like and the intersection of the two, um, or excuse me, not of the two, but like of all the things that come up. And so uh, I would say one of the greatest takeaways that I had from this book the first time I read it was in the in a passage, it's actually not in the chapter we're going to discuss, but it, it still applies. It's it's where she writes, if you don't doubt, you won't inquire. And I think that she's someone who as a Christian went to what maybe many people would consider dangerous places or would ask dangerous questions or questions that might threaten, you know, your, your system of belief or things that you hold to be true or things that seem safe. And I think if anything, um, and I'm sure we'll get into this, right. When we talk about angels, like God's not safe. He's not a safe God. Um, we are safe in his protection, but I mean, he's always calling us into the opposite of a life of comfort, right? And Mad uh, Madeline Lengel, I think, is someone who really wrestled very honestly and shares the wrestling she's done all her life with a lot of these questions and the intersections to her craft with her craft um, in a in a way that's that's very poetic but not inaccessible, right? I mean, she's she's an artist first, and it shows she's she's a master of her craft. Um, but it doesn't read like a manual because it it's it shouldn't. It feels kind of like you're getting a more personal glimpse, I think, of of her life. Yes, yeah, and well, as an example of that, just the very beginning. I guess we'll start go back go to the beginning now and kind of work our way through. Yeah, let's do. She begins with um, this line: "The apple trees in the orchard at Crosswicks are growing old," and Crosswicks was where she lived. Mm -hmm. And then she describes the. Um, the the just the death of the trees um dying in the winter and then kind of going back to um how her children what her children used to do with the trees and, and then she describes um dog pond um which she will bring up back later on um it's related to the the title walking on water and so it begins with a real personal description of um her life in her home and also the, it begins with death and growing old um, and I noticed that 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 kind of um, image of the apple trees growing old pops back up in various places in the chapter, and mm -hmm. um, and um, so to me, what I see that as um, signifying is um, it's she says uh, later on that um, I will never understand the silent dying of the green high apple tree if I do not slow down and listen to what the spirit is telling me um, and so to me what I hear her saying is that um, at least there is that um, she needs to to listen and she needs to take time to be in order to understand these mysteries of um, the death of of um, not only trees but um, the death of all of all of us and and I think death there is kind of like um, also touching on, on a mystery that none of us really knows with any experience until we go through it. Um, and, um, and later on, she says that art is a way of, um, of understanding that mystery. And, and yes. so I, so I think that, yeah, it's, it's really, um, beautifully composed how she keeps on coming back to that image of the dying apple trees. Um, but on first reading, it, it's kind of easy to miss that that connection 
Yeah. Well, I, I like that she pays attention and I think, you know, to, to these things, because how many of us even really notice, right, what's happening and even the, the natural environment around us. But also um, what that reminds me of a little bit is there's a scene in the movie A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood about, um, about uh, Mr. Rogers and uh, Mr. Rogers is played by Tom Hanks, who looks at a man in the film who has just expressed fear about dying and fear about even talking about death. And there's this really, really compassionate moment where Mr. Rogers looks at him and says, if it's human, it's mentionable. And for Madeline Lengel to pay attention to these things and start grappling with ideas of uh, about death, you know, I mean, you have to, it's uncomfortable to go there, but there's a there's a stillness that can come. I feel like with with contemplating that. That's that's not to say that you should just sit and contemplate that. I don't mean to be <laughs> sound like I'm bringing bringing the mood down, but I think I think that living and dying well sort of go hand in hand. And I've seen I've seen multiple people do that. And I think that in our culture, it's it's very difficult. Western society, I mean, you know, we we tend to relegate death to like only if it's happened to someone in our family or someone close. It's not really something we we want to be aware of, but it just it we know it happens. Um, but yeah, she almost tenderly kind of like pulls the topic out from under the rug and says like this is this is important. Let's you know let's consider. Yes. Yes. And I should mention that on the on the night that we are recording this episode, it's the it's the day of the Queen's funeral, and right. um, and you are in London, I um, mm-hmm. and I am in um, the north of England, and it's um, as Americans, I, I'm sure it's um, we're we're kind of outsiders, but we still feel the um, feel the grief and but also the triumph of the of, uh, I, I would say the triumph of the Queen's death because. Um, when I think about, um, I've heard a lot of people say that during COVID-19, that really brought death to the fore of people's consciousness, maybe more than um, before. Um, and I think the Queen's death has done a similar thing, but with a different tone. There, um, I was listening to the the sermon today that mm-hmm. uh, the Archbishop um, Justin Welby gave, um, and, and also the scripture readings, especially. Um, one was talking about how uh, um, through Adam, came death uh, through the man Adam came death into the world and through the man Jesus Christ um, has come life and and so there's this um, so d- different to the COVID-19 the Queen's death has with it a sense of triumph I, I've felt um, uh, and then I was listening to the the um, procession to to um, St. George's Chapel um, today as the as the tomb as mm-hmm. the um, coffin was and everyone was following and hearing yeah. the hearing the um the bagpipes and the drums it was just very moving um and it was just it, it was a sense that i felt uh, a sense of victory and, and a sense of um like glory not i mean I, I know they were mourning but there's a hope that has come um through hearing about her death because she was a strong christian and and and, and as i said lengel uh, reflected Christ. I think. I think we can say the same about the the Queen um, through her life and service, and even in her death, she reflected Christ. And um, so, I guess I just thought I'd. Me- I thought that would be important important to mention, given our context as well. Yeah, it's a it's a historic intersection, certainly. And um, 
yeah, I, yeah, that, that's kind of shocking that it, yeah, all of that's taking place as we're, or has taken place just today, just, I mean, literally just a few miles from where I've been. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another, you know, another thing that jumped out at the, at the very start, the very start of uh, this chapter was when she says, but there's, there is still a pattern to the summers, which I hope will never change a lovely kaleidoscope of family and friends coming and going. And there's such, I don't know about you, to me, that's almost, it's just such a comforting thing to read at this particular point in my life, because I think for a lot of us that have gone to university, or at least certainly people who've gone through any sort of schooling for a period of time, we settle into rhythms where your body is almost adjusted, right, to like an annual rhythm of either the academic calendar, or if you're, you know, serving on a church, then maybe the church calendar, because mm -hmm. you've got you know, Pentecost and the holidays and other important dates to be aware of. Um, and I feel like, at least for myself, after leaving um, leaving university and certainly moving to to London, a brand new place where I knew hardly anybody, a lot of those rhythms sort of just slipped away because um, it was a new place. Uh, not all of the holidays that I'm used to celebrating with family are are happening. And so um, to read about someone who does have patterns in their life, and even if they don't have patterns, they're still intentional about having moments of stillness was a really, really timely reminder for me going like, okay, I may not have, you know, quiet summers where I can expect family to visit me in this idyllic location. Um, but I can still look for the stillness. And I do, you know, in the, in the, in the places, the natural, the wild, the rugged places that I can, I can get to. Um, and that can feel like a, a place where sometimes, I hope this isn't bad to say, sometimes more so than being in a church surface or service, I feel, I feel close to God when I'm, you know, staring at like the Welsh coastline, right? When it's just blustery and raining and gray and why, why would you stand there in this rain and cold weather? But it's just, yeah, that to me can still my soul. And it seems like, I like to think that uh, Madeleine Langle was, was similar in that way. She found God natural places mm -hmm. yes and so that's a good that's a good point and that's a good place to move to is i think one of the things that's you know similar to you that stands out to me in this first section of the book is her emphasis on um uh, creating time to be um time to, to to re refresh oneself to reconnect with god um and and then she has these two posters she describes that are messages that she receives um, from as gifts from people that speak to her more deeply. It's listen to the silence and stay open to the voice of the spirit. Um, and I think that's something important for artists um, and speaking for myself as well, um, as someone who tries to practice um, writing is the need for that time to just be and I don't do it very well but when I do it I, I think it, re it refreshes me and it um, enables me to um, kind of do many things including um, imagine more deeply um, for my for my if I'm working on a story for instance um, to play more um, to just take more time and also to hopefully connect with God as well um, and and I think yeah as you say it it's not only something that um, or that that takes place in church where we hope it would take place is connecting with God, 
but also God is present beyond is present in the whole world. And so places in nature, um, they're often a place for me as well that I find that, um, um, there was a recent, just from personal example, I had to make a kind of a big decision recently. And sometimes what I like to do is just go on a, on a walk in like through the woods to to think about things. And, um, and I, and doing so helped to clear, clear my mind and a little bit and, and make clearer the way that I would be best, I, I think, to go, um, the way that's most life-giving. And that way as well involved um, saying no to an opportunity that would have been really great, but would have taken a lot of time out of my schedule, more, a lot of time uh, in my free time. And, um, and I see now that although it would have been great to do that, I'm grateful that I said no, because it, that time has given me time to um, a bit more space to breathe, to to reconnect to the people in my life, to God, hopefully. Um, and I think even in terms of practical things, in terms of like writing, um, if I had said yes to that, I probably wouldn't have the time to to write uh, a story that I, I am working on. Um, and and so that's just an example of how sometimes to to be to be creative people, if we feel that this is perhaps a calling to to create something, you need to have something as simple as time to do that, and um, the time to 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 do that, and also the time to be and to have space, um, even beyond the the few minutes that one might spend working on that thing, in order to to be able to reflect on it um, more. Because if we cram ourselves with too much, um, a lot of things get squeezed out. Oh man, I was okay. I'm so glad you said this because, especially, well, this is true of a lot of industries, but especially within the entertainment industry, like deadlines are so crazy. And I think we live in a time where more and more people are speaking out against like bad work practices, which is really, really healthy. But I love like Madeline Lengel has joined the pantheon of, you know, like artists that I, I admire for being like, you know, sometimes I just take time to be, you know, it, it's, you almost feel like you have to ask permission of society in some ways, just because there's so much pressure to always be a human doing, right? Not a, not a human being. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that was, that's good stuff. I'm really glad you touched on that. Mm. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that, and so she then goes on and explains why she's um, writing this book um let's see if there's anything else um that that jumped out to me um i suppose uh, what we were saying earlier about um death to go back to that um this paragraph this questioning of the meaning of being and dying and being is behind the telling of stories around tribal fires at night behind the drawing of animals on the walls of caves the singing of melodies of love in spring and of the death of green in autumn it is part of the deepest longing of the human psyche a recurrent ache in the hearts of all of God's creatures. So yeah, that was just an example of how um, how this image of the, the green apple trees dying um, uh, echoes with the kind of the deepest um, impulses that we have as humans to try to understand that. Well, maybe it's, we can move on. Yeah, sorry. Oh yeah, no. Well, I was just gonna say it's it's eerie. You said that I was scrolling. I have my notes here too, and that was literally okay. Oh, okay. Same, same quote. And it, you know, it just it reminds me. Like, I think I think all of us really do want to know how to live well. I feel like that's fundamental, right? We want to know how to live well, but we also want to know how to die well. And I think films 
for me, like that, that's, you know, as, as an artist who writes music for films, that's the medium of, of my, of my choosing. It feels like my vocation. Um, I feel like that's such a unique way to sh literally show people learning how to live or, or not live or learning how to live well or not live well and seeing the consequences or seeing the fruits that grow out of, you know, those decisions. Um, so yeah, I, when she, when she said that, I was just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> film and film score, like this is, this is, it, it resonates with me. And I think it's important to be reminded because it's, it's a true thing and you just can't, you can't tell capital T truths enough, especially, you know, when you're, when you're a storyteller, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of sometimes I shake, is that the film you're thinking of as well? Like, and the score that yeah. you did for that, the telling the, the way that Dan um, was, was living his last days and the, the relationships that he had, is that what you're thinking of? Yeah, well, certainly some, um, you know, that, that Dan is an example of someone who suffered and he knew he was going to die, probably knew clearer than a lot of people what that timeline was going to be. But he also chose to live way, you know, with a lot more intentionality. And it's almost like watching something like I think I used the musical terminology, of like watching his life crescendo or get louder, right? Yes. As yes. physically, it's like a dead crescendo or getting, you know, there's less that you can do physically. But yeah, no, lots, lots of films. Um, I think, you know, a, a, the one I mentioned earlier, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Mm, I mean, yes, we could, we could go on about films, but we're talking about the book. It's just, yeah, there's the intersections were, you know, I had my mind racing as I was reading that. Yeah. Well, then the next section on what is Christian art? Um, I underline this line, if it's bad art, it's bad religion, no matter how pious the subject. I think that's probably a thesis statement, um, one of many thesis statements that Lengel has. Um, and um, yeah, so I just, yeah. And, and But then if it's good art, and there the questions start coming. Um, I know she will unpack that more as the book goes on, but um, but yeah, to, well, do you want to say anything about that line? Um, I think... I think she's pretty spot on there. I think, um, you know, good art doesn't have to make you uncomfortable, but I think really, really, really like art that moves you to the core, you know, if you're going into your core, what's in your core? Is it going to be like the simple stuff or like the hard questions and like all the vulnerable places? Mm -hmm. And so if art can access and like, you know, help or to come back to what she, what she says later in the book, if you don't doubt, you won't inquire you know, we could, we could choose in our faith journeys or in our, in our life decisions to, to take the easy route, to only go to safe places, only surround ourselves with people who are like us and won't challenge us to grow. Um, but I think if, if you experience good art and you're willing to wrestle with that, it's, I mean, it's kind of like Jacob, right? If he wrestled with God and he came out with a broken hip, but you know, it, he, he, he was blessed and God did amazing things through his life. And I think, you know, the, uh, we're not called to be comfortable. Com comfort's not a bad thing. I enjoy a nap on a comfy couch as much as the next cat, um, literally. But um, I think, I think, yeah, it's, it, it, she's spot on when she says, and they're the, you know, with good art, if, if it's there, the questions start coming and the, especially the ones that would be simpler to evade.
Interesting. I, I didn't, I, I'm really glad you said that because I was reading it a bit differently and I like how you're reading it because you're kind of defining good art as art that asks those questions. Um, and I was actually reading it as if it's good art, well, um, I can't say if it's good religion. Uh, that's how I interpret it. But I, I like what you were saying, Scott, because you're defining um, art and good art uh, as art that um, makes you ask these questions, that um, grapples with these challenges that we'd rather sometimes not face, that um, uh, forces us to ask these questions. And bad art um, uh, must therefore be art that doesn't require that, art that is just um, kind of shallow, where maybe on the surface we're entertained, but it doesn't um, it doesn't get us really thinking deeply or feeling deeply or, um, you know, asking the why, you know, asking the questions that Langle is, is, was referring to when she brings up the, the death of the orchard, uh, the apple orchard. And, right. and so I, that's a helpful d definition of, of good art. Um, I think. Well, but I, I, I want to be careful not to, you know, I, I feel like maybe Madeline would, would back me up on this like with bad as you said it, it can be a slippery term to to define and something that might move one person because art is so subjective might not hit another person the same way and that's also okay and you know also i'm thinking about like you know there, there's times where i listen to music that really moves me and it sometimes it's just on a on a musical i enjoy listening to this jam kind of level other times it's like man these lyrics were so well thought out goodness like i i didn't know you could be that raw and say that that beautifully um but then there's also times where i'm like man i just want to jam out to some some motown bass lines and that also can be very good it's <laughs> i wouldn't say it's bad art because mm -hmm. I, I can't bring myself to say that but i i think bad art may also vary from from person to person and mm -hmm. then like anything else in life you know everything in moderation yes and i think also um that that's a good point it's not only about the the deep feelings it's all i mean yeah it's good art includes joy and um celebration um but and i think also maybe i think what lengel goes on to say is like art that's created sloppily that where there's not much um thought behind it or they don't really put much effort into it or they're not listening to the work that might be as well bad art so um so I think we'll probably touch on that as we go on as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this actually, this next line that I highlighted um, uh, supports what you were saying earlier about the the art that asks these questions. It's, it is a frightening thing to open oneself to this strange and dark side of the divine. It means letting go of our sane self-control, that control which gives us the illusion of safety. But safety is only an illusion, and letting it go is part of listening to the silence and to the spirit. And so maybe part of that is um, part of how one might get to that place of creating good art for her is letting go of self-control and and following the work. As we talked about in our last episode, listening uh, inwardly mm -hmm. and listening to the work and where it's leading. Um, perhaps when we try to um, um, impose our own vision of what the work should be too much that stifles the art. And so I think about some, so as the editor of a, po of a literary magazine, um, mm -hmm. I've, I've, 
I've really been impressed by seeing what other literary magazines are doing. And, and some of the, the ones that I really admire in their submission guidelines, they say that um, they're looking for poems that don't start out with, um, uh, with an understanding of what the poem is going to say, but one that actually reflects a discovery that takes place through the process of writing the po poem. So yeah. that um, when one sits down to write a poem, they may not, a better poem or the one that they're looking for is one where the author didn't know what the poem would say until after it had been written. And right. I think that's, um, and I think that's, that's a good point because so often it's easy. Well, speaking for myself, if, if I, if I come down to sit and write a poem and um, I'm really trying to preach a message that, um, and, and so there's no discovery that takes place during the writing um, that's probably not really, and I don't really like those poems in the end. They don't really do much for me when I read it again, but it's really the ones where I've actually changed through the process of writing it. Um, those are the ones that I tend to value more in my own, in my own writing. Well, and it, be, it, it speaks of, of, of vulnerability, right? If, if you're, if you're not willing to open up in the process, then you're only going to say what you already had to say. That's what's already in you. And I love, yeah, I agree with you. I love the way that she speaks about that because when we're servants to a piece or to a piece of art, you know, it, it can probably feel a little uncomfortable to talk about this as, as an artist, because then it's, it can start to sound like, well, I'm, I'm really cool. And this process was awesome. And I had great things to say and didn't even know how amazing it was going to be, but that, you know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about sort of the, almost those first steps that you take. So for me, you know, it would be, maybe I look at a scene and there's a character and, you know, it's like someone opening a door and it could be suspense music. It could be whatever, but if let's just use this example where maybe the characters open the door, but really they've been feeling lonely all of their lives, the entire film. And this is another lonely moment, but you know, the loneliness theme might need to come out. That's, that's going to be different than maybe, you know, if I just saw the scene and decided I'm going to make this a suspense scene. Um, and mm -hmm. I think best pieces of advice I ever got in my life was from a jazz pianist who said don't judge an idea too quickly and I think so often we judge our ideas way too fast before we even really let them be like what they could be and that comes full circle to what uh you know we talked about at the very start where Madeline Langle says I need to take time to be if we're always going really really fast we're never going to slow down to even see the details of what you know, some of these artistic ideas, be it a poem or a song or a, you know, a symphony or a painting, or these are just, these are really obvious art things. There's plenty more art mediums, but um, yeah, I, when, when she was writing, just to kind of piggyback on what you said, when she mentioned the Plato um, quote about there being kind of a necessity for divine madness in the poet, you know, the way I, I think of that is almost like, it's, it's not, you're going crazy kind of madness. It's sort of like, almost telling your brain like okay before we get into this just remember that you're you're hoping that there will be kind of a divine encounter while you do this and that you'll be able to step aside and let this materialize and i love the way uh langle says you know the art knows what it's going to be it knows more about itself than you do <laughs> So mm -hmm. try and try and be the servant and obediently follow, you know, where it's, it's taking you, because if that's where you're starting from, 
that's a much better ethos than I'm awesome. I have cool things to say. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say those things instead, like your whole life starts to bend towards the language, the ideas you have about your craft. And if you're, you know, like Langle going, I, I'm the servant. I don't get to be the boss of this idea. I am the servant first. I mean, you know, who is Christ, if not the servant king, you know, he's, he washed the feet of his disciples and he absolutely could have just called angels down and been like, you know what, now we're going to set up shop. I rule everything. Let's, let's go. But instead he came and dwelt among us and, you know, the, the rest as a lot of our, our listeners know, and if not, it's in the new Testament recommended also a good read. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, well, John, thank you for saying that because it's it shows another connection to me of um, faith and art, and because our faith, we hope, is um, making us more like Christ in that way, where we're more listening and open and humble, and um, and following God and not trying to to take control of our um, of our life, but being more open to God. And, and so if we ha if our faith helps us in that way, then that would also help us as artists um, to approach our art in a similar way. And, um, and that's not to say that only Christians um, are humble. <laughs> and <laughs> and I, uh, I hope no one hears that. We're not going like only Christians can make good art. Yeah. That's not what we're saying at all. Right. Um, and I think vice versa, perhaps, that a, a good artist would make a good Christian, I would say, because if they have that that attitude, um, that would perhaps help them in their life and in their walk with God to to approach other people and God in a similar way. Um, so it kind of feeds back and forth. Um, so, uh, yeah. And then the next section, um, she she goes that I call back to the mystery. Um, she says, and as I listen to the silence, I learn that my feelings about art and my feelings about the creator of the universe are inseparable. And actually, she begins that by saying, it's an impossible task to, to define Christian art. And that kind of models, I think, what we're saying, that she really approaches this um, with humility, realizing that she's not going to be able to answer these questions. And, and um, almost too much, I feel, she, um, she kind of says that I'm not, I'm, I'm not able to really appropriately address this question of what is Christian art. But I think she leads by example by doing that, by showing us that's the approach we need to take as artists and as Christians, um, that to, to be aware that um, of our limitations and and what that there's so much we do not know. And it's perhaps that's the best starting point for us. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I, I, I resonated with her especially when she was really hesitant to say that she, you know, she was a Christian artist, because I don't, I feel like I've had this conversation with other people who are very artistic and also Christians, and they would rather be known as artists and, you know, mm -hmm. who happen to be Christian than like, I'm Christian artists. In the music world, that's probably because like, for me, I don't have aspirations of being like a worship songwriter or something, you know, mm -hmm. I, 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 I feel like sometimes, sometimes even in, in, like currently it seems like Christianity gets associated with a lot of things that Christianity actually has nothing to do with because it either gets really politicized or, you know, even if you look back over the course of history, like plenty of terrible things were done in, yeah. under the banner of Christianity. And mm -hmm. I don't think that's 
anything of what Lengel is talking about. Like she's literally talking about Christ likeness, right? Service and being um, loving and aware of of creation. So in that, like in that sense, I'm happy to say I'm a Christian artist. But I mean, yeah, I when she said I'm hesitant to say I am a Christian artist, I thought, yeah, that's that's me too. But mm. similar to her, like I probably need to sit with that. Um, because it is it is a part of who I am. You know, I, I want to be more Christ-like because you know the way he lived his life was was true. And anyone who isn't sure about his his teachings or you know about like what Madeline Engel believes, the best way to test it is to is to test it. You know, mm. I think when you test it and you find that it's true, then you can you can trust it. It's mm. a good point. Well, the next section is one where we, that's where we get the, the title of this chapter, which is Cosmos from Chaos. Mm -hmm. And in that section, she says that, um, well, she, she says that art is not just skill. Um, she says, skill may be learned, and if art is merely a skill, then it can be acquired by anybody. And being a painter would merely be the equivalent of being a good dentist technician or a practice butcher. It is an honorable thing to be a dentist, technician, or a butcher, but neither would claim to be a creator. And so she's getting at kind of what it is to be an artist, and that's to be a, a, a create, a, well, what she would say, a co-creator with God. Um, what J.R. Tolkien would would say would be a sub-creator, but that's that's kind of different, um, a different uh, point. And then she says that uh, Leonard Bernstein tells me more than the dictionary when he says that for him. Music is cosmos in chaos. And so, so all art is cosmos, cosmos found within chaos. And at least all Christian art, by which I mean all true art, and I'll go deeper into this later, is cosmos in chaos. So, um, so maybe um, trying to explain cosmos in chaos might be going back to that image of the mystery, the questions, um, true art, or um, Christian art, as she she says that Christian art means true art and not the kind of um, like Christianity that you were describing earlier that misrepresents Christ. Um, that is art that seeks to find meaning in these in in this mystery, um, um, seeks to find some clarity in the confusion that that we experience. And I just find that to be a very um, beautiful and helpful definition, or at least a way forward. Uh, thinking about what it is that we are doing, because um, I think she's saying it's not just, uh, you don't just sit down and say, I want to try to um, make good art, but it's there's really this deeper impulse that drives us, uh, whether we're Christians or not. And um, whenever we follow that impulse to seek meaning and create um, clarity, um, that she would say is true art. So yeah, yeah. I, it, I love as a music person. I have to say, I really love that she she lifted that quote from Leonard Bernstein, who was a very prominent conductor and and a composer in his own right. I mean, he gave us some amazing musicals, but um, in some ways, he would be like right at the front of that chaos that is an entire orchestra trying to like mm. help there be order, you know, out of like sixty or ninety or however many however many players so it's it's appropriate he would be he would be someone to someone to say that mm, that's a helpful image yes to illustrate that yeah and then she says that um 
she says that writing a story or composing a song, painting a picture is an incarnational activity. And so she's then developing this definition of cosmos in chaos. The artist is a servant who is willing to be a birth giver. So just as um, the Virgin Mary gave birth to Christ, um, the incarnate God, um, so too, as Christians, um, for, for Christians, or for or for anyone for that matter, not even non-Christians, making art is also giving birth in a similar way to um, to something that we are that we are obeying. She describes later that um, well, she says here that, that obedience is an unpopular word nowadays, but um, but just as Mary obeyed God and and willingly chose to bear the Son of God, so too. Um, artists are called to obey that um, impulse to create and to give birth to this work of art. Yeah, um, I'm super okay with Madeline Engel saying that. I tr I'll be honest, I try and do a hard steer away from not using like um, the language of birthing uh, because I that's just a mystery that I will physically never understand. Um, and I can conceptually understand some of that, but um, yeah, I, I think I think that um, you know what she says there. Like it it's it does birthing as someone who's not a dad, but uh, you know from what I understand, like birthing is very painful. It's a painful and a long process and involves nourishment. And I think that you know to that extent, it is it is an effective way to to talk about art because you're once it's out in the world too. I mean, you're still in a weird way, kind of the, the parent, I guess, uh, like wanting it to, to have a good and meaningful life of its own almost. Um, yeah, you know, another, well, yeah, another, another writer, I think Socrates would talk about using sort of the midwife philosophy where he would try and help people birth their own understanding, I think is the way he put it. Hmm. And I think that that's, that's also a really effective way to, to think about art where you're trying to either like set up conditions or in a story, like create a moment where it, there's, there's meaning, there's a message and it maybe is asking some of those important questions we talked about earlier. Um, but then you're allowing the, the viewer or the participant um, is the language that Mad Madeline Lengel uses. I'd probably say viewer because I'm always thinking in terms of like music and, and film. You're watching viewing films. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you have a moment to, to come into a deeper understanding of something because of the way they've, they've set that up. Hopefully it's like resonating, almost like causing, causing you to vibrate, you know, with what maybe started as chaos, but then started to resolve into something orderly and at the end was, was meaningful. Mm. Yes. You know, she, she says something else in this section where she says, as far as I can see, the reproduction of chaos is neither art nor is it Christian. Um, and I, yeah, I'm curious, like, how, how did that, how did that, how does that hit you? Hmm. Um, let me see. Can you tell me what page you're on? Um, I, I could, I'd have to, let me, let me find okay, it here. Let me see. Um, just looking it might for be. Oh yeah, it's on it's on page seven, right in the last paragraph. Yeah, like. Oh, I see. Gotcha. Thank you. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. So she's there describing. Um, well, she she says before that there's some modern art in all disciplines which is not cosmos and chaos. 
Some artists look at the world around them and see chaos. And instead of discovering cosmos, they reproduce chaos on canvas in music in words. And then, then the, the line you say that, as far as I can see, the reproduction of chaos is neither art nor is a Christian. Well, um, I find it difficult to speak to that in some ways because I think that involves like judging the intention of the artists who are doing that. But I guess the first kind of work that comes to mind is like Jackson Pollock, his kind of abs very yeah, abstract paintings. Yeah. Um, and so, so Lengel is, is saying that, that for her, that is not cosmos out of chaos. It's more chaos. It's not really answering the questions or, um, and so I would say, um, if that is the intention of the artist, it, it, which is to, um, to not answer the questions, but rather to kind of just show off what they can do, or just to be innovative for the sake of doing something new. I would say that there is value to that, I think, but it's not, it's not, uh, I would, I guess I would agree with, with Langle that it's not really touching the deeper questions. It's, it's, um, it's not really helping us to navigate the complexities of life. Um, uh, so I'm trying to think of some other examples. Um, but I, I guess that involves a, a knowledge of the intention of the artist, because perhaps it could be that the artist is trying to um, to make meaning through that. Well, then I think of the artist, um, I, I don't know how to pronounce it, but Vasily Kandinsky, who was a Russian painter. Uh, he mm -hmm. did also, also abstract paintings. Um, but I actually, although... I don't always understand. I mean, usually don't understand what he, are, are you familiar? Are, can you picture what I'm? I, I can't, I can't picture okay. what you're, I okay. feel like I've heard the name, but yeah, yeah. forgive, forgive me. I, I'm a, I live under a rock. No, 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 that's okay. Maybe you'll recognize it if you see it, but, and I might've mispronounced his name, but, um, well, when I see the, his art there, um, I, I do get a sense that there is, um, he is asking those deeper questions, and and um, I, I think I should probably send you a send you a photo. Oh, yeah. of yeah, um, what he's doing. It, um, and I know our listeners won't be able to see this, uh, <laughs> and it's it's a bit distorted. But I I guess that's not one of my favorite ones that he's done. But even that one, mm -hmm. um, I I can I can feel his his expression there. Um, the colors, the shapes, um, and and um, and I actually knowing a little bit about his background, he was a, 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 I believe an, an Orthodox Christian, and uh, a lot of his work mm -hmm. um, is drawn. Uh, the inspiration is drawn from um, the Gospels and from Re the Book of Revelation, I believe, um, and and some of the some of his mm -hmm. works are more clearly uh, depict that, but. Um, but yeah, I can't really explain why. Uh, but actually, I also know that in some of his philosophy of art, he he taught that it's important to um, to with abstract art to have some kind of reference that the viewer can um, recognize in the abstract art. But even if it's not very clear, in the picture we're looking at now, um, mm -hmm. I think it's called Comp. Uh, no, I don't. I don't know the title of this one. Um, one of the comp composition eight, I think. Um, I don't really recognize anything there. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe there, there's some mountains here with a sun hiding behind them, but it's not some of his other ones. 
I can recognize a bit more. Um, but all that to say, I just um, just the feeling that I get from from looking at that abstract art, uh, I do see cosmos in chaos there. Um, mm -hmm. But some other abstract art, uh, and maybe like one where there's maybe like a toilet that's been put in a museum, and that's the work of art. To me, I don't feel. I think I'm with Lengel there. That um, that's kind of maybe trying to impress the viewer or to kind of show them show us like look what I can do that no one's ever done this before but it doesn't really um doesn't really bring too much meaning um to my to my knowledge well one, one of the, I know we're getting off topic and I do want to reel it back but one of the funniest things I've seen was which I also kind of really loved how tongue-in-cheek this was at the Phoenix Art Museum in Arizona there was a large white canvas and in big like big big like aerial bold print it said, um, you, colon, I could have done this, modern art, colon, yeah, but I did it first. <laughs> it's, uh, it's always entertained me, but um, yes. so uh, as that clearly relates to uh, walking, walking on water, <laughs> now segue back into uh, uh, the, the deep, the deep art. <laughs> well, okay. Um... Well, then in the next section, she she, um, she talks about, um, so this is called Christian Art Helps Us to Remember. And she talks about how, um, well, God calls us to the impossible, but then as creators or as participators, we are helped to remember some of the glorious things we have forgotten and some of the terrible things we are asked to endure, we who are children of God by adoption and grace. Um, that's a really powerful line, I feel. Um, and first of all, we are children of God by adoption of grace. Somehow that just jumps out at me. Um, perhaps because as children, and maybe this goes back to what you're saying about um, having a child, having a work of art in the world, um, we are children of God. And, and yet we are, and so as children of God, we experience glorious things. Um, and I just, maybe to give an example of our newborn son, who's seven and a half months old, Caleb, we really like mm -hmm. to take him out to, to beautiful places on going on walks and gets fresh air, um, experience beautiful things. But at the same time, um, I know that he will face terrible things as he gets older. And, um, and I mean, he already has faced challenging things. I mean, even just being born in itself is like a traumatic thing, but, um, but we, as God's children, uh, we'll also we have we will be asked to endure terrible things, and and so there's that balance of the glorious things and then the the, the terrible things. But as um, in art, we are helped to remember both of those things. She says, um, and so in terms of the glorious things, she, she then goes on to 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 give examples of like um, seeing angels or even for her walking on water. Um, she believes that um, that we it is possible for us to remember, and by remember, it's like um, uh, it's possible for us to recover the original um, purpose that God created us for, which was to be um, to be like Christ, to be um, to be unified with God, to be like um, it was in paradise, or even beyond that, where 
we were in com direct communion with God as humanity and maybe able to do amazing things that we can't do now, but Jesus was able to do, like walking on water. And she believes that um, we can recover that lost or forgotten element um, as Christ has done so that we might even be able to walk on water as well, um, which is, I hadn't really, haven't really heard that before, um, <laughs> but uh, in terms of the way she describes it, but it, in, in other ways, it's a very core Christian teaching that um, an ancient Christian teaching of deification or um, what's it called? Entire sanctification, that we will be transformed um, in Christ likeness and be able to do what he has done and even greater things, as he says. And so she, so Lengel is saying those are some of the glorious things that art helps us to remember or recover. Um, but then there are also terrible things that we will remember as well. And maybe just thinking about the cross and how Christ, um, who was God, um, as a human had to die. And we too are called to pick up our crosses that we will die as well. We will face suffering in this life. It has been transformed through Christ. Um, and death is no longer the, uh, no longer has the final word, but we will still suffer and, and still die. And so art helps us to remember that side of things as well. Um, so I, I like that balance, um, but I also, I guess, uh, I, and I also realize that um, it's a, um, it's an interesting point she makes, and I'm not sure what I think of it um, fully, is that art helps us to become um more like Christ. I think that's quite a bold claim. I think so. I think, you know, you, you hit upon this earlier. I think intent really matters quite a bit. Um, you know, if your intent as an artist is to like hurt people, which you might think of it as like good hurting, like trying to chip away, you know, something like that, then that will probably come through in your pieces. Um, but I think if your intent is to be like Christ, then you have to start from a foundation of compassion and healing because we use the language in, in Christianity a lot of like, we live in a broken world or like a mm -hmm. fallen world. And if I was not a Christian, I'd be like, so you're telling me what, like everything's wrong. Like what, why does it have to be wrong? But you know, you see fragmented relationships, you, you see, even just how afraid we are to talk about death, because it's for a lot of us, it can feel like this unknown thing. And I think that good art, it, it, in some ways, it might not always give you an answer that you fully understand, but it might stir something really deep, like the language that's used in the Bible about the Holy Spirit, like interceding for us, like it, thinking of it in terms of like sometimes you feel so much pain or so much turmoil or you have such deep emotion you don't even really know how to give it voice there's no words mm -hmm. for it um you know we have word plenty of other words for other things like relationships we use words language of like value and monetary and like oh, i really value this friendship like oh you can't put a price on this like because that's something of value we understand but there's other things where we just can't there's, there's not words and i think really really great art stirs that and i think um mm -hmm. you know there was a my wife and i attended a service a service at westminster not that long ago and the choir that was singing there sang a piece by a composer named uh, morton lauritsen who has written some of the most beautiful choral music i've ever heard in my life and it's i don't find myself crying very often <laughs> you know when i hear 
when I hear music and some people are moved to tears often and that's that's great that it's good you need people who feel a lot of feels um but that his work very often and this was one of the first times I got to hear a piece live and in, in a space like Westminster and it I mean it just moved me to tears it was kind of a like he's not describing heaven per se in great detail but to me it was one of the most heavenly things that I'd heard and it but you you can't for me I left feeling very um hopeful and almost like some of that felt more clear like it almost felt like the the veil between me and a greater understanding of what heaven is like got lifted just a little bit and I think for artists to give themselves up to the divine madness or you know to to be co-creators or make things incarnational or in, yeah um you know it, it's some of this stuff isn't coming from you and I think that's probably mm. what it's, it would be different from maybe like a Christian understanding of art versus a secular understanding of art. Like for me in my, in my life of trying to create music and stuff, there have been times where I feel like it's not coming from me. And I would say very quickly, like, I feel like this was God getting to like showing me how to make a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I have to, I have to believe and do believe that that's definitely the case sometimes, which is, again, it's, I'm not trying to be like, and I'm this amazing composer who has some, I've, God's my co-writer, um, you know, I don't mean to diminish any of that. Just, I think, I think Langle, um really strove greatly to stay very close to, you know, having God occupy mind, you know, mind space while she was, she was making. Yes. And, and maybe what she would say, maybe in another chapter, maybe even this chapter, I'm not sure, but is what we perhaps can take credit for, but maybe we would still wouldn't want to do that but is only the extent to which we open ourselves to God working through us. Or um, she might use other language. Maybe people who are not Christians might use other language, like um, being open to the process or something. But, um, but for her, certainly, like being open to the spirit, um, that's, maybe that's all we can really do is, um, is um, kind of empty ourselves and, and, and create more space for God to, to work through us. And um, because... At the same time, it's um, as I think she says in another part of this chapter, yeah, Mary is is free to say no, that she has a free will. She she can choose. God doesn't um, take away her choice, um, but she chooses willingly to say yes to God. And that is when God then um, works through her. And in a similar way, um, we have a choice. Um, and so, so we do have this cooperation that is expected of us. Um, but that choice is whether or not we will, uh, or, or to the extent to which we will allow God to work through us and create space. And that goes back to what we were saying earlier about um, having time to be and and making sure that we have that space. Because if we don't make time to be, then maybe that might restrict God in some ways. It's, it's odd to say that, but because God can do anything, but God also, we believe, gives us a choice. And so God won't force anything on us. And so um, the more we open ourselves and create that space, the more God can work through us. And um, and I was, uh, yeah, so yes, that, that's helpful. Um, uh, let's see. And so as we wrap up, are there any more um, lines in the rest of the book that you wanted to touch on? I think, um, one, yeah, just some of the takeaways for me, there, there were a handful. I mean, it, it, 
obviously there's some overlap, but certainly, you know, the language of the work often knows more than I do. I think that's, that's very true. I, you know, I sometimes stumble my way out of a creative process. And it's like, oh, it, there's the thing. I can see it. I mean, um, you know, it's it's almost like paleontology. Like you see mm. something, you're like, oh, there's something in there. I would say this. I love dinosaurs as a kid, but like uh-huh. to continue with the metaphor, right? You're like dusting and chiseling delicately. And like at the end, you're like, oh, here are the bones, you know, and then you have to use your imagination to kind of flesh it out. But at the end of it, you can step back and go, well, this this was definitely a thing. So yeah, the work knows more than I do. Um, and I think just the importance of listening, you know, we, we talked about it in the other podcast, but I, for me, that's something that I, I really needed the reminder right now, because I feel like so often right now, I'm trying to force things through because I'm so desperate to either, you know, find work or like get whatever piece was approved by some creative director and like when you're under that kind of stress or that kind of time, you know, deadline or whatever, it's really easy to start almost sublimating the work to your, to your will, my will in this case, where I'm like, okay, I really need this thing to be what I need it to be or what I think someone else needs it to be. And it's easy to start removing yourself and removing, you know, the, the spirit working. And that's not to say that like, if I'm doing a, a soda commercial, you know, I'm always like, God really inspired this baseline, um, you know. But like, starting starting from the right the right first step, I think, which is okay, Lord, I need your help, and this work knows more than I do. That's you know, that's where I need to that's where I need to be. That's the takeaway I needed from from Langle. So thanks, Madeline Langle. <laughs> it's timely. Yeah, that's that's really an interesting um, point, and and I see I really see the tension there. But yes, I I, I, see, I also see how. You, how um, you can bring that attitude to whatever work you do. And, and just thinking about myself, um, m- like my work as a proofreader and editor, um, there's not much room for creativity there. Um, but perhaps that I can take away too from this, that I can sit down and um, before I proofread a paper, maybe try to approach it in a similar way of just being open to um, to the spirits work through me as I as I proofread, um, I wonder what that would be like. Um, so yeah, that's 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 helpful. Well, Scott, it's been really um, I've really enjoyed talking about this. I think we could have talked about it a lot more, but um, that yeah, um, we I really enjoyed. Yes, yes. Um, I hope you can join us again next season um, for discussing maybe the, uh, maybe if we're still going through this uh, another chapter later on in the book, but with with the focus on pilgrimage and worship next year oh yeah yeah that'd be great um thank you um well scott thanks again for joining us and um and yeah it's been a real pleasure and joy to speak with you and and reconnect so to summarize this chapter lengel writes that christian art true art is cosmos in chaos an effort to seek meaning and to understand the mysteries of life and death For this to take place, the artist must be a servant of the work, which requires time and space simply to be and to listen to the work and to God. Such art, and such a process of making art, helps us to recover our true identity and to face the great challenges before us. Bringing this back to vocation, a helpful image for me that Lengel provides is that of the Virgin Mary, who accepted God's call on her life 
to be the mother of Christ. Similarly, what I take away from this is that God calls us also to bear Christ. This requires making space in our lives for Him to live and grow within us. As we do this, we may find ourselves also being led to bear and to create other things, such as writing a novel, or designing a piece of architecture, or raising a child, or serving a group of people, or something else. In so doing, we help to bring cosmos out of chaos, and thus fulfill our calling as sub-creators reflecting the one who created us all. I hope you will look out for the follow-up episode to this one, the second episode, in which I will invite someone else to discuss the next chapter of this book, the chapter being called Icons of the True. It will likely be published sometime next year, as our forecast season is drawing to a close in a couple months' time. In the meantime, though, do look out for a conversation coming soon that I will have with Forecast's new co-host, Jarell Paggio, who you will have heard before on a previous episode when Will and I interviewed him. And that episode will be on music and vocation. And also look out for a concluding summary episode between Will and myself reviewing the 2022 season. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with someone you think would appreciate it. We'd love to hear from you. So do get in touch by emailing us at foreshadowmagazine at gmail.com or connecting on various social media platforms. You can also visit foreshadowmagazine.com to read new writings, see new art, and listen to other work posted every week. Thanks for listening. That's the forecast for today. Mm-hmm.